Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us today. If you'd like to contribute financially to this ministry, you can do so at BethesdaChurch.tv slash give and simply select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. All right, so everyone killing kryptonite. Uh, Have you guys been enjoying that series? Uh, The first one last week, and Pastor Chad destroyed it, right? So uh, how many of you guys know that this morning is Secret Sunday? How many of you people know, how many, well, maybe I shouldn't ask you. How many of you guys didn't know that it's Secret Sunday? Then it would have been, so see, it's a great secret, right? Um, Secret Sunday is when we get uh, some speakers from our church, typically, and uh, they share a message. We, We don't reveal who they are until you come and show up that day. So today we have three different speakers for each service. Uh, the speaker that we have this morning is no stranger to Bethesda. Uh, he's been here. He served on the, He has served and continues to serve on the worship team. Uh, he is also uh, does some pastoral care counseling for families here at the church uh, to help out the staff. Uh, I love the man. He has a tremendous amount of wisdom, and he has such a pastor's heart. If you could, please stand, and, and let's give a warm welcome to Pastor Everett Fraley. you You may be seated. Thanks, Troy, for that very warm welcome. We have a fantastic church, do we not? We have a blessed church, and I'm just so excited. I'm honored and privileged to be able to speak to you all this morning. It's just truly uh, a thrill for me to get to to speak, and thank you, Pastor and staff, and all you folks for being here. If you knew that this was Secret Sunday, well, now you know the secret. If you didn't know it was Secret Sunday, I'm what you got, okay? Okay. we had a great service last Sunday. Like you said, Pastor just absolutely just had a wonderful message. Then we had a tremendous service Wednesday night. How many was here Wednesday night? We had a wonderful message, Move of the Holy Spirit Wednesday night. So, you know, I'm going to hopefully continue that. Uh, again, I'm Everett Fraley. I'm one of the, the folks that helps out here at Bethesda in a couple of different positions. I, I try to help out with music when I'm needed. Kind of stepped away a little bit from that. We, my wife and I have had some changes in our family, which I'll get to here in just a second. And then I help out with counseling and just anything they need me for here. I'm, I'm honored to serve. So um, I think if you were here a few months ago and I spoke, if you were able to hear me the first time, my wife and I found out back uh, spring of last year that we were pregnant. And uh, whew, that was, uh, that was a, a secret that, that we couldn't keep for a little while. But uh, we were really, you know, excited, yet, you know, at the same time a little nervous and anticipating what was going to happen because we're in our 40s, you know. So it was a, a bit of a challenge. But if we've got a picture, I'll show you what the good Lord gave us. Yeah. Perfectly healthy little baby boy. Uh, he was born on the 4th of December. My wife's water broke at 4 in the morning. So we gave him four names. Um, long story, I don't have a, a lot of time to get into it, but Jacob Wellington Lee Fraley, that's his name, and if he ever becomes a doctor, a lawyer, an Indian chief, he'll have a lot of trouble getting all of his certifications, but at the same time, that is, uh, that's our little boy. Now, I've got to show my other three kids because they get mad. They say that, uh, you know, Dad, you're just really paying a lot of attention to the new baby. They're in Tennessee right now at the church and having a wonderful time, and that is Michael, Luke, and Abby. 
So we've got a 16-year-old, a 13-year-old, a 12-year-old, and yep, a three-month-old. So uh, <laughs> if anyone here is praying and asking the Lord to help them have children, I would recommend having it while you're having them while you're younger. Uh, it's been a real challenge, but we're blessed. So I just wanted to share that with you. What I'm going to do this morning in the next 30, 40 minutes or so is share some of the thoughts out of the book that the pastor started last week with the series Killing Kryptonite. John Bevere is a tremendous pastor. He has a tremendous heart for God. And this book and this series is something I really was challenged with. And when you look into the book and understand what they're trying to convey and say, I think it's really something that can be life-changing. So what I'm going to ask you to do is maybe just try to focus for the next 30 minutes. Try to, to just uh, bear with me. This is a little bit of a tough message, but I really believe in my heart and I feel in my spirit today that there's some people in here that can be challenged and renewed and strengthened by this message. So if you'll just bear with me, I like my messages and my sermons like I like my biscuits with a little bit of shortening in them. So I will not be preaching that long, I promise. But you guys got to shout me up, okay? If, if you just sit there and go to sleep, we're, we're going to be here for a while. So uh, look at your neighbor and say, hey, we got to get going. All right, all right. In the book Killing Kryptonite by John Bevere, the comparison is made between kryptonite and sin and things that can hold back a believer. We know that in the, the book or the series or the, the cartoon or the movies about Superman, that Superman was from another planet. He was from another world. We as believers are from another world. We know that he possessed supernatural powers. We possess supernatural powers through Christ. We also know that he fought, fought evil. We on earth here as believers fight evil. He drew his power from the sun. We draw our power from the sun, S-O-N. Spiritual kryptonite can be easily identified if we know what to look for. It doesn't lurk on a distant planet. It can be right in front of you if you look clearly. So today's message is entitled, Kryptonite and the Covenant. Kryptonite and the Covenant. Kryptonite weakens us here on earth as believers, and it can break our relationship with our Creator and inhibit our purpose on earth. However, first we have to look at our relationships and understand how this works. So I'm going to go into that for just a minute. Now, I'll give you a little bit of a background on me. I was a youth pastor for about 10 years, uh, associate pastor, kind of an interim pastor. I did a lot of different things in, in previous churches. But one thing I always had young people come to me and ask, and maybe you are here today with that same question, is what is my purpose? Why am I here? What does God want me to do? And can I tell you as a minister for quite a while and in my 40s, I can still tell you today that God sometimes still places that question in your heart. Okay, God, is this where I need to be? Is this what I need to do? Is this really what you want me to be doing at this stage in my life? And it's difficult sometimes to understand that. But if you're not careful, your relationship with God can be clouded and distant, and it's hard to get those answers from God and get those directions from God. I always re remember one little girl at a revival when I was a young man. She, she came up to me, and she was just weeping, and she was crying. And she said, I don't know what God wants me to do. And I said, well, honey, what, what has God laid on your heart? Well, I really think I want to be a missionary. And I said, well, what, why don't you feel like, well, I don't know if it's God or me. And I said, honey, if you want to be a missionary, that's God. All right? I've done a little bit of mission work, and when I went on a mission trip, God told me, Everett, you're not supposed to be a missionary, okay? When you get out there and you get in the middle of something, if you can do it for four days a week or ten days, that's great. But to leave your home and your family and leave everything for a year or two, that's God. 
If God challenges you to do something that you know it's not really something on your own, that is God speaking to you. But it's hard to understand that if you don't have that clear connection, that relationship. We are in covenant relationship with God. We are solely committed to each other. Our commitment also hinges on obedience, and anything less is a breach of this very sacred agreement. So a covenant is a very important thing. Jesus is portrayed in the New Testament as the groom, and we are the bride. There are numerous examples through Scripture, but it's not by accident that this is a comparison that he brings out. Because in ancient Judea, a marriage between a groom and a bride was a very serious thing. It was a very serious thing. The families would meet for months or weeks before, maybe even years. They would plan this connection between their sons and their daughter, their son and daughter. And then there was usually some type of a payment or dowry paid to the, the man that had the daughter. I still think that's a great idea. I, I don't know. Maybe I got one daughter. You got a wedding to play for. But anyway, they would do these things. They would come together. They'd have a huge celebration. Sometimes a celebration would last for a week. It was a big deal to get married in ancient Judea and in biblical times. And so this covenant commitment is the same imagery that we're seeing as the bride of Christ as the church. The Bible says in Ephesians 5 and 31, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united as one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. When we marry here on earth, we become one, don't we? We become one. I mean, I've been married to my wife so long that she can finish my sentences. I mean, I can get in the middle of talking to her and stop for a second, and she'll finish it. And I'm like, how did you know? I just knew you. I know what you wanted. When we come into the body, we come in to be one, and we exemplify Christ in all that we think and all that we do. We are no longer our own. And I guess for some people, that's difficult to understand, isn't it? Because when I first got married... I thought I was going to be married and still kind of do what I always done. I thought I was going to get married and still hang out with my buddies and do all the things and have all the hobbies and all the interests I had before, but I had a wife that I was committed to. And so when I got married, she very quickly kind of straightened me out on that. When we come into the, the body of Christ and we come into the church, we have to understand that we are now in a relationship with our Heavenly Father and that we are not our own. God is a jealous God. We want God to be jealous. We don't want him to be casual in his love for us. Because when we are in a deep relationship, casual love is not intimacy. Now, maybe you remember from your high school days, your junior high days, maybe your college days, when you were interested in somebody... And maybe you were trying to talk to them and you would say something to them like, well, I'm going somewhere next week. Are you going to be there? Yeah. Well, I'm going to go and uh, you know, there might be some other boys and other girls. Da, 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 da. Yeah, whatever. You wanted them to be interested in you. You wanted them to be interested in you. You wanted them to be passionate about you if you were interested in them. If we're not careful, that casual love can hurt our intimacy with God. God is a jealous God. God doesn't want you to have anybody else but him. I mean, the Ten Commandments make that pretty clear when you look at the first one. God is interested in you and you alone. God also wants you to be interested in him and him alone. And I've said this and preached this many years, and I'll say it again today. God doesn't want to be number one on a list of ten things. Hmm. 
God wants to be number one on a list of one. He doesn't want you to have a bunch of things in your life that can cloud your relationship with him, that can damage your relationship or hinder your relationship with him. You see, casual relationships don't ever make it. You have to be passionate. You have to be passionate. John Bevere in his book makes this example, so bear with me and I'm going to give you this example. I think it's something that was kind of interesting when I read it. It kind of spoke to me. We're going to talk for just a minute about a young couple. All right, imagine this young couple named Bobby and Susie. And if there's a couple here named Bobby and Susie, I'm sorry, okay? I'm not talking about you, Bobby and Susie. I'm talking about a fictitious Bobby and Susie. But these two people decided to get married. They were in love. They were, they were just mad about each other. And so Bobby drops to his knee. He asks her to marry him. She says, I'll marry you. They go off. They have this beautiful wedding. They go off to this wonderful honeymoon in a foreign country, and it's just absolutely perfect. They come back. They're so in love. They can't hardly just stand not to look at each other. You ever known anybody? Have you ever been there? Okay, I mean, you know, it's just when you first fall in love, it's just such a passionate thing, and you just, oh, my gosh. But then a few months pass, and then a year passes, and Bobby comes home a little early from work one day, and he's excited, and he sees his wife all dressed up, and her hair's all fixed, and she's, she's adorned in jewelry, and she's just really decked out, and she's getting ready to walk out the door, and he says, honey, I'm sorry, did I miss something? Is there a... a, a uh, do we have a, you know, a, a date tonight or is it some kind of anniversary? And she looks at him. She said, Bobby, I'm sorry, but I'm, I'm going out with another guy. He says, wait a minute. We just got married. It hasn't even been a year. Yeah, I know, but I give you most of my time. I give you most of my life. I give you pretty much every single day, but there's an occasion when I want to go out and just do something with somebody else. So I'm going, to go be, I'm going to be gone for a week or two, and I'll have you pick me up when I'm finished with this person, and I'll have you come get me when I'm done. You see, God wants a relationship where we're passionately in love with him every day. And when we have some other interest in our life, it comes between our relationship and him. How many of us look at our relationship and say, God, we're truly committed to you? How many can say that we're truly faithful to him? Are we honoring the covenant we have with him as believers? The kryptonite that we're going to talk about this morning is the spiritual idolatry and adultery. Spiritual idolatry and adultery. Adultery is being unfaithful to your spouse with someone else. That's, that's something we know, Right? Idolatry, traditionally we think about building idols or statues or temples or worshiping false gods. However, in the context of today's focus, idolatry in the book of James is simply one thing. It's being unfaithful to God. You see, idols in ancient times were created by men or women, and they would adorn them with gold or, or silver, and they represented what that person needed. Listen with me this morning, folks. I feel this in my spirit this morning. They represented something that they needed. If they were in a particular situation where they needed rain, they would pray to some God that was supposed to give them rain. If they were in a situation where they needed happiness or joy, they would pray to some God and adorn this God that gave them joy. If they were sick and ill and about to die, they would pray to a God where they thought they would receive healing or some type of blessing. But you see, a false God is simply that. It's a false God. There's nothing that that God can do for you because you know it and God knows it. There's only one God. There's only one God. And that one God loves us and cares for us. 
The book of James steps into this, and I, I just want to touch briefly on the history of James. If you haven't read the book of James, please read the book of James. It is one of the most impactful books in the Bible. It's one of the earliest Christian writings, probably about the late 40s, A.D. 40s. So Jesus died around 33 A.D., and this book was written just a few years after that. So this is a very accurate version of what Jesus said. It's vintage Christianity. It was uh, the first gospel right in hand. J James, or one of the examples of someone who saw the gospel firsthand. James is believed to be a brother of Jesus, so he was there walking with Jesus, and he knew what he said about idolatry. So what does James say about this? James chapter 4, verse 4. Your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. You adulterers. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy with God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Whew. James goes on to say that if we're spiritual adulterers, we're making ourselves an enemy of the living God. Now, I like history. I was a history teacher for a brief period, and that's a whole other sermon. But in 1941, December 7th, Japan bombed Pearl Harbor in Hawaii. And when they bombed Pearl Harbor, we became enemies with Japan. We didn't want to be enemies with Japan, but because of their actions, the American government and the American people had to act. I'm here to tell you this morning, God does not want to be your enemy. God doesn't want to be an enemy to his people, but rather we are the ones that make ourselves an enemy, according to James. God has no opposition to his children Yet we will, he will not shy away from the opportunity or the conflict if we insist on aligning with the world. Now listen, I know I'm talking to the 8 o'clock crowd. You guys are the 8 o'clock crowd. You guys got up early on a day when you lost an hour's sleep to get your praise on and to come hear the Word of God. I mean, you guys are, I mean, my hat goes off to you all. I mean, th thank you for coming. Give, let's just give the Lord a hand this morning for you guys. I mean, come on. Now, I will recommend after this sermon or later today, go lay before the Lord, take a holy nap, and uh, get restored on your sleep, okay? Maybe the Lord will speak to you in dreams, if you're an old man, in visions, if you're young. I know that you all are, are in love with the Lord. You wouldn't be here at 8 o'clock in the morning if you're not. But I think all of us can look at our lives and we can say, you know, there's some place in my life that if I'm not careful, this can get between me and God and our relationship. It could be a hobby. It could be your job. It could be some interest. It's easy, and it's not intentional by any means. It just happens. But you see, spiritual adultery can only occur with a believer. It can't occur with someone who doesn't know God. Whew. Now, when I read that, I thought, you know, God, I, I never really saw that. But spiritual adultery, when you worship another God or you're, you're putting your time and your effort into something else, and you're not doing what you know God wants you to do, you're not pouring yourself into a relationship with Him, that can only take place between a believer and God, not someone who's lost. They don't know Him. June 24th, 1995, at the Old Stone Presbyterian Church, I married my wife. Okay? I chased her and chased her till she caught me. And we've been married since 1995, and I love her and she loves me, and as you see, we've got four children and a dog and a lot of other stuff, chickens. and Anyway, but I can only be unfaithful to my wife. I'm not married to Jane Doe. And again, if Jane Doe's here, I'm not starting picking on her. But I can't, 
be unfaithful to someone I'm not married to. So as believers, we can only be unfaithful to God. A person who's lost and doesn't know, Lord, this, this message from James, this word this morning, for the most part is for those of us that are already in a relationship with God. If you're here today and you don't have a relationship, we're going to address that here in just a little bit. But this message really spoke to me because here in America, we can get really distracted, can't we? I mean, you think about it. Think about all the stuff you have going on this week. Think about all the stuff you have going on at work. Think about all the things you have to do today after church. It can be overwhelming, can't it? It can be overwhelming if we're not careful. But when we are not in the right covenant with God and we allow the spiritual kryptonite of adultery in, we can allow it to affect our relationship. So how do we commit adultery through idolatry? James makes it very simple. He says, you want only what will give you pleasure. We live in a world filled with pleasure. We live in a world where we focus on excitement and leisure and everything in the world, in, in our world, in the Western world, is geared around making you feel good. The line that he drew in the, in the sand is very simple. James says that the world is motivated by self-desire. John goes on to give us a clear picture in John chapter 2. He says, For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see and pride in our achievements and our possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from the world. Whew. I mean, think about the Oscars, the Grammys. Think about all the awards that are given out. I mean, are we not people, and myself included, do you not like to get patted on the back every once in a while? Isn't it nice to be told you're doing a great job? But if we're putting our self-worth and our emphasis on ourselves and what we find in achievements and possessions, we're missing the mark, church. We're missing the mark. There are many idols that we can worship. There are many things we can do to commit adultery in a spiritual sense with the world. We are driven typically by the desire to do what brings us pleasure and to our five physical senses what will feed our self-worth independent of God. Simply put, it's our pride. I tell you what, if you don't have a problem with pride in here, bless God, praise the Lord, hallelujah. But yours truly has had issues with pride in my life. I mean, we can be really careful, we can love the Lord, but if we're not careful, our pride can really mess us up, can it? I mean, it doesn't take much for our feelings to get hurt or for someone to say something to us. Or, I mean, I, I've never seen... I could tell you so many stories this morning about how people will get mad at, at folks and actually leave a church because of their pride. Whew. I mean, it's okay if you get your, feeling hurts, your feelings hurt every once in a while, but if you get to the point where pride is driving you and it inhibits your walk with the Lord, you need to take it down to the basement and kill it. I mean, pride is a destroying thing. And what James and John are speaking here is that our pride sometimes can get in our way of our relationship with God. Now, what makes this so hard to understand, and we're getting ready to change gears for just a second, is that we go after things we think are good for us and will lift us up or build us up, and we go chasing after these things in the world when God wants what's only best for you. God wants what's only best for your family. But for some reason, we as, as believers do it as well. We tend to think that maybe we know what's best for ourselves. 
The world is like a seductive lover that tries to entice us away from our one true God. The world wants nothing good for you. The world will destroy you. We are not of this world. James in chapter 1 says, So don't be misled, my brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift from God coming down to us from our God our Father. What is it in your life that you have that's good and holy and righteous and, and wonderful? Your wife, your husband, your children, your relationships with believers, your relationship with God, of course. There's so many things that we can look at and say, these things come from God. I guess my question would be, if we can really truly understand that, why do we need anything else? If there's something else in this world that gives us pleasure, then that's fine if it's fleeting or for a moment. But if we start to pour our heart and our life into it, church, there's a problem. Now, I think this is a pretty profound statement. I wrote this up myself. Again, pride. See, Lord, help me, Jesus. Okay. But I, I wrote this, and it really spoke to me because I thought, this is something I've been guilty of before, and maybe you're struggling with this this morning. But by chasing after the things the world has to offer in the future, we have to turn away from the perfect things God has to give us right here in the present. Let me just stop there for a second. One of the tactics the enemy will use with you, the believer, you, the Christian, you, the saved, on fire for God, you, the young believer that's just come into the fold, you, the, the, the middle-aged believer that's been doing this for years, you, the person that maybe in your senior years you've been a Christian all of your life, one of the things that the enemy will do that will inhibit you and, and, and give you a, a spiritual kryptonite that will slow you down is he has you chasing after things that may or may not happen in the future or chasing after something you may think will bring you happiness or chasing after something that you think will give you what you've been looking for your whole life when what you need, God can give you right now. The enemy dangles this carrot in front of our face and we, we chase after it. But at the end of the day, everything we truly need comes from God. And it's available to us at any time as believers. It doesn't make a difference if you're worshiping an idol 2,000 years ago or if you're worshiping this world or something in this world in 2018. The thing that breaks God's heart is what we must realize today and why this type of spiritual kryptonite is so dangerous. Whew, here is the main problem, and I'm getting to the main point of the sermon. When we worship other things, we fail to give God proper worship he deserves. We are not worshiping him as God. When we worship other things, we're not just worshiping something that isn't real. We're not putting our time and effort and looking for hope in something that doesn't really exist but we're taking our love and our compassion and our desire to worship God away and we're giving it to something else. God is God and he deserves to be worshiped. God has done too much for me and he's done too much for you to deserve anything less. True worship, pure worship is something that he desires from his believers. And I tell you today that it's something that if we're not careful, we can lose it by looking to other things. I do some counseling here at the church and I've, I've been in ministry for a number of years, and one of the things I always deal with when it comes to marital counseling especially is that someone will come in and they'll talk to me, and, and usually by the time they come in to talk, they've really kind of gone to the point where it's difficult at that point. It's, it's a struggle for them to, to push through, but Lord willing, sometimes there's some, some great things that can happen if they're both willing to work on what God wants to do with their lives. But one of the things I always hear, and it's, 
it's so simple when I hear it, and it's so plain, and it happens so much that I almost don't hear it as much anymore. I don't uh, acknowledge it as much anymore or don't get as excited as I used to when I'd hear it. But a couple will come in, and they'll have problems. They've been married for five years, 10 years, maybe 15 or 20 years. And the woman or the man, depending on who's, who's leading the problem, they'll say, he just doesn't meet my needs anymore. He just doesn't, you know, I just don't care for him anymore. She just, she's just not really what I want in a wife. Or maybe she's not doing what I asked her to do. And, da, 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 and it's all about me. It's all about my issues. And you see, when you look at yourself inwardly and you focus on yourself, it's really hard to focus on God. And that's with any relationship. If you're here today and you're struggling in a relationship, if your focus is on yourself and your needs and what you think you need to have done or what you need to have changed in your life and your spouse isn't doing what you think they should do, the problem may be you. Whew, man, I, that wasn't in my notes, Lord. Hallelujah. Okay. Review what you have as far as your relationship with God today. Where have we been unfaithful? No one enters a relationship planning to commit adultery. You don't do it. We have failed to give him proper and worship and obedience. We have failed to worship him as God. We have failed our covenant agreement. And the kryptonite of idolatry and adultery has crept in. We're getting ready to, we're getting ready to go down the mountain. You ready? Here we go. Don't give up hope because there is hope. There is hope. There's always hope when you're a believer. James 4 and 8 gives us hope. Hallelujah. Come close to God and God will come close to you. I'm going to say that again because that's a powerful scripture. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Now, I don't know where you are this morning in your walk with the Lord. You may be on fire and things are going great. You might say, Everett, maybe this message isn't for me. Or maybe you're struggling with something today. You say, you know what? I've, I've got a coldness between God and I, and I'm not as close to him as I used to be, and I don't really know what happened. And maybe I've allowed my job, or maybe I've allowed things in my life to kind of come and cloud the relationship that I used to have with God. Or maybe you're just a new believer, and you're, you're wanting to go close to God, but you don't really know how. Well, let me explain something to you, and it's very simple. If you draw close to God, if you walk towards God, God will walk towards you. The God of the universe that hung the stars, that tells the sea where to stop and numbered the numbers of sands in the, in the world and knows the hairs on our head and feeds the sparrows, he wants to have a personal, intimate relationship with you. He loves you that much. His creation that he will actually come towards you if you will just draw close to him. But the rest of that scripture is important. It says, wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. You see, I've got a lovely wife and she loves me and I think she, you know, I, we got four kids together. So, you know, we're, we're, gonna, we're in this thing for the long haul, right? But if I tell her, you know what, I'm going to be married to you for four days out of the week, but then I'm going to go be married to someone else for three days out of the week. I don't think she'd like that. I don't think that would go over well with my wife, and I know it wouldn't go over well with me. You can't serve two masters. You can only ride one horse. Well, I guess technically people could. Well, never mind. If we turn away from the world and devote our lives to God, we will forgive 
and he will, he will forgive and he will strengthen us. If we fail to turn, he will still reach out for us, sometimes through situations or other people. All right, now we're going to get just a little heavy for a minute. Just bear with me. The Old Testament gives us a really good example of a relationship with God, Israel and God, Israel and God. But you have to understand, Israel messed up a lot. Israel worshipped multiple gods in numerous places throughout their history. God warned them and they would turn back and sometimes it would be good for a little while, but then they would go right back to worshipping some false god. And sometimes God would send a prophet and many times they would stone or kill the prophet. If you want to be something in biblical times, you don't want to be a prophet. If you're called to be a prophet, look out, because it usually didn't end well. All right? I'm just telling you. If you read the Old Testament, the prophets were amazing men of God, and, and there were prophetesses and women, and, but it usually didn't win. In, it, didn't, it didn't go well. But Israel went through what I would call a four-stage relationship with God. There was sin. Then there was oppression because of the sin. And then there would be repentance and then there would be deliverance. Let me just go back through that. They would sin. They would become oppressed. They would repent, which means they're going to turn. They ask for forgiveness. They turn from their sin. And then there would be deliverance. Now, friend, if you're in a situation where you've got spiritual kryptonite of idolatry or adultery in your life with your relationship with God, you're already on the sin and the oppression part. Try to repent. Because God is a God of deliverance. God doesn't want you to live oppressed. God doesn't want you to be bound in chains. God wants you to be free and delivered. If we're not careful, we can fall into the same cycle. You have to repent to be delivered. Kryptonite of sin will weaken your relationship if left unchecked, and it will eventually destroy you. Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet because he wept for his country and for his people. The Bible said that the Lord knew Jeremiah in the womb. I'm just going to have a little plug there for unborn babies, okay? He knew him in the womb. He knew him in the womb. Before he was born, he was set a point. The Bible said that Jeremiah was appointed. Before he ever came out of his mother's womb, God had a plan and a destiny for him. Can I tell you today, you don't know why you're here. You're asking your questions about what God wants you to do. Do you know God had a plan for you when you were in your mother's womb? Do you know that God appointed you before you ever drew your first breath? Do you know the reason you're here this morning and the reason you're walking on this earth is not by accident? It's because God has a purpose and a plan for everyone in here. If you believe that, give him praise this morning. Hallelujah. Jeremiah goes on to say, he says, in Jeremiah 3, this is addressing Israel. And you got to understand, Israel had really come a long way. The country had been divided. The southern kingdom was Judea or Judah, and then the northern kingdom was Israel. And Israel had come to the point where they were worshiping Baal, which was a Canaanite god. It was a terrible god. And they were worshiping him. And God called Jeremiah to tell his countrymen, hey, you're going down the wrong path. Repent and turn away from this false God. So in Jeremiah 3 and 20, this is what Jeremiah says to his people. You have been unfaithful to me, you people of Israel. You have been like a faithless wife who leaves her husband. God says, I, the Lord, have spoken. You have been unfaithful to me, you people of Israel. You have been like a faithless wife who leaves her husband. 
I, the Lord, have spoken. Who leaves her husband. When you leave God, you turn your back on the very thing that gives you life. When you walk away from your relationship with God, you turn your back on the very thing that gives you joy and peace. Your relationship with God is literally your life. There is no life outside of God. Your relationship with God should be the most important thing in your life and in your mind. It should be something you deal with and and pour into daily. You should be getting up with praises on your lips, reading your word, praying, being encouragement to others. You know, if, if you have a job outside of ministry, God has put you in that job for a reason. You ought to work that job as if it is the greatest thing in the world and give God praise through what you do. Be a witness in your life, at your work, and at your job. Your relationship with God is literally your life. There is no life outside of it. The best way to remain on guard against adultery is to pursue God wholeheartedly. Pursue God wholeheartedly. We live in a period of extremes. We take hobbies to extremes. We don't have just a marathon. We have a triathlon where you swim, you get on a bike, and then you run a a marathon at the end of it. We like extreme things in our culture. It's something that's happened in the last decade or a couple of decades. Why not pursue God in the same extreme way? Why not pursue God with your whole heart? Why not pursue God with that kind of extreme passion? Men, think about when you first met your wife. Think about that just for a second, okay? Think about the first time you saw your wife and how you just, man, there was something about her that was different. And how you, you went after her and you pursued her. Did you do it half-heartedly? Or did you do it with your whole heart? I mean, did you go after her with a way and a passion that made her say, there's something different about that guy? I think maybe he likes me. I mean, I met my wife, and the next night I met one of her friends, and I told her friends, I said, I'm going to marry her. The lady dropped her fork at the table. She said, you don't know her. I said, I don't care. I'm going to marry her. I just knew. I made up my mind that I was going to pursue her with my whole heart. God will never do anything partially or to a small extent. We need to reciprocate that passion and dedication in our love and desire for him. Do you think you would be married today if you'd have chased your wife half-heartedly? Do you think if you'd have just kind of showed up and, hey, what's up? You want to go out this weekend? If not, that's cool because i got other things to do. Oh, and by the way, next weekend I can't go out with you because i got plans. Do you think that would have worked? No. You would be sitting here tonight without your wife. And some guy who had passion would be holding her hand. God never does anything partially. I'm getting ready to turn this around, getting ready to to land this plane. Everybody say amen. Amen. Now, come on. It's not that bad. The real issue of adultery and adultery is this, and this is is the crux of the whole sermon. So the real issue with idolatry and adultery is a lack of obedience. Lack of obedience. A lack of obedience. It's easy to sing and worship, and we have a tremendous praise band, and we have a tremendous... Uh, praise pastor. Sam does a fantastic job. And folks, let me tell you something. I've worked with this band some. You don't understand the commitment it takes to be here. They come in on Thursdays. 
They work for hours and hours, and then they come in on Sunday morning early. They're here, and they run through the whole, not just one song. They run through the whole set to make sure everything is right. That's how dedicated they are. I mean, can we just give them a hand real quick? I mean, they pour their heart into giving you the opportunity to worship God in, in just, just the most passionate way. But you see, another way to worship is to be obedient. Another way to worship God is to be obedient to what he's asked us to do. True worship with God is obedience. So when you come in here and you lift up your hands, you can lift up your hands with, with dignity and with with passion and say, God, I have done all I could for you this week. I've been obedient to you. Now I'm going to just worship you and in praise and in worship. And you destroy that spiritual kryptonite that can eat away at your relationship with God. You see, God loves us no matter what. There's nothing you can do to change God's love for you. You understand that, right? So, if you are in love with God, he's in love with you, your, your relationship will grow. But if you are in the middle of, a, of pouring your heart or your life into something else, God still loves you, but eventually he may have to send somebody to you to, to draw you back. Or he might have to put a situation in your life that will draw you back. But he still loves you. Uh, my oldest son, Luke, I showed you a picture of him a moment ago. He did something a week or so ago, and I, I, I can't remember what it was exactly. But he did something, and I had to just jump on him, okay? I was about to lay hands on him, and I'm not talking about in a spiritual way, all right? And I, I, I was really, and he's really tenderhearted. He's a great kid, and I mean, if you know my, my son Luke, he's just, he, he's, he's just a wonderful boy. I, I'm, I give my wife the credit because she did most of the raising. I work all the time, but he looked at me, and I was just kind of just really just telling him where to, you know, and I saw a little tear peek up in his eye, and he, he was kind of, kind of got that sniffle thing going on, you know? And he's 13 years old, and he's not really a man, but he's no longer a boy. He's, you know, his, his voice is starting to crack. He's like, hey, Dad, you know? And it, it's just, I, I, I love him to death, but I was really upset and disappointed in him, so I was really just kind of standing on him a little bit. And he just, I could see he was just breaking down and crying. I said, son, I said, I'm, I'm correcting you, and I don't want you to do this, but I want you to know I, I love you, right? And he looked at me and he says, Dad, I know you love me. I'm just sorry I disappointed you. You know, if we have that kind of a heart towards God, it's going to be easy to be obedient. It's going to be easy to love him. It's going to be easy to do. But God never, ever stops loving you. Even if he has to chastise you, even if you have to go through something difficult, God still loves you. Remember that. In the Old Testament, there's a book of Hosea. I don't know if you've ever read Hosea. It's a, a fabulous book. There's only about 14 chapters. It's pretty quick. But Hosea was given a very difficult task from God. Hosea was a prophet. He was a preacher. He was a godly man. He had influence. He was someone who was you know, esteemed as a prophet in the Old Testament. And God looked at him and he said, Hosea, I want you to marry a harlot. Now, if you don't know what a harlot is, that's a prostitute. As my grandma would say, a woman of the night. All right? I want you to go marry someone who is unfaithful 
and make her your wife. Can you imagine what that must have looked like? Can you imagine Hosea going down and marrying someone who was a harlot, who was a prostitute, and bringing her back to his community? And they looked at him and they'd say, isn't that Hosea? And isn't that... Her name was Gomer. And so God chose this wife for him, and he married her. And they had children together. And then Gomer, for one reason or another, decided to go back to her old life, and she left Hosea. She walked out, and she left him. And she left him alone. And God told him, he said, I want you to go back and get her. I want you to go back and reclaim your wife. And so if you read the the book, maybe read it later today or this week, he goes back and he goes to the auction block where Hosea is or where Gomer is and Hosea says, I'm taking her back. And he pays silver and he buys, redeems his wife and brings her back home. And God in the physical sense in the Old Testament showed us here today that God goes and he buys us with a price and he brings us back. Israel was spiritually unfaithful to God. And so God used Hosea and Gomer to exemplify that relationship. Our lives should be one of constant testimony to the world, showing our love and gratitude for our king. We should enter his presence with clean hands, and pure hearts and desire to worship him in spirit and in truth. Worship is a choice to obey and honor and give thanks. Anything other than true worship opens us up for idolatry. The kryptonite of idolatry and adultery will weaken your faith. It will weaken your connection to God and cause us to become ineffective when it comes to our purpose as believers. When we worship other things, we are cheating God out of the true, pure worship He deserves as our Lord and Savior. Would you stand with me this morning? Praise your holy name. Praise your holy name. Father God, I come to you this morning with a heavy heart. Because God, I'm I'm relaying a, a difficult message to some wonderful people. God, I know the people in this church today love you. And I know, Lord, that they are passionate. But God, all of us can be prone to this issue, this kryptonite, this sin, Lord, that can creep in and put a wedge between our relationship with our living Father. Lord, you are so good to us, and you paid such a a great price for us by giving your Son. And through Jesus Christ, we become the bride of Christ. Hallelujah. God, through Jesus, we are able to be reconnected to you. But God, the world is like a seductive lover. It draws us out. And Lord, it can cloudy our relationship. It can bind us. And Lord, if we're not careful, we can be like Gomer. We can be cast right back into the same life that we had before we knew you. God, help us this morning to focus on you, to worship you, Lord, in spirit and in truth. And God, to be obedient to you in every way. Lord, I pray right now that with every person in this house that's a believer, God, I ask that you will help them to open up their eyes to their heart. Lord, turn on your searchlight. And if there's anything in our hearts, God, that is hindering our relationship with you, God, help us to lay that down at your altar today. Help us to leave it here that, God, we walk out of here renewed and passionate. 
God, we are in the middle of a great season in this church. Lord, we are in the middle of a great season in the church body as a whole. God, we just want to make sure we're effective and on fire and passionate about our love and our relationship with you. And God, if there's someone here today, Lord, that doesn't know you, if there's someone here today that doesn't know you as a personal Savior, God, I pray that they will not leave this building until they recommit or they commit their lives to you, Lord. For the first time, we pray that in the name of Jesus. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Hallelujah. If you're here today and you say, Everett, you know, I've allowed some things in my life, not really intentionally, but they just kind of happen. They've come into my life and just kind of distanced myself from God. I, I'm, I'm not really where I want to be with the Lord. I'm, I'm still saved. I'm still a believer. I'm still a Christian, but I want to be closer. I want to be more passionate. I want God working in my life in a different way, in a more personal, more intimate way. Would you just slip your hand up this morning? Thank you. I see those hands. Thank you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God's going to do that this morning. If you're here today and you say, Everett, I don't know Jesus. I don't know this God you've talked about. I don't know the relationship that you're discussing. But you're here today and you want that relationship. You want to change your life. You're tired of living for yourself. You want to be part of this community of believers we call Christians that are passionately and recklessly in love with God. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, would you slip your hand up? Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise your holy name. Praise your holy name. Church, I'm just going to ask you to stay at your seat. I'm going to ask you to just, as we sing this song, I ask that you praise God in a personal and an intimate way. And just have a... Have a discussion with him this morning and say, Lord, this is what I need to get rid of. This is what I need to change. This is what I need to get out of my life. You know yourself what you need to do. Let's just have a moment here this morning, and let's just sing and worship in a renewed way with passion and with fervor. Can we do that this morning? Can you just lift up your hands and just worship God and allow him to just minister to you? In the name of Jesus, I pray. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Bethesda Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our website, BethesdaChurch.tv. Thank you for joining us and have a great day.